0: Father God, who is fit to look into your word but those who have been redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? Father, what a weighty passage. Oh God, we beg even now that you would be honored and lifted up in the preaching of your word, that your truth would go out and do its good work in each heart here. Father, for those who who sit and listen, please guard their hearts and minds. That you would be honored even in their thoughts and their meditations. And Father, guard even now my lips for your pleasure and your glory. We beg all of this in Jesus' name, amen. We live in an era where the church seems to be in decline at least according to all the polls. But still, Jesus has many advocates. Even in the city, there are many who would say that they are followers of Christ. But you would have to ask the question, which Christ is it that you follow? Because the Jesus of the Mormons and the Jesus of the Roman Catholics and the Jesus of Islam and the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses that Jesus, all those Jesuses are not compatible. Even within Protestantism, you're going to find debates on who Jesus is, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the efficacy of what he did on the cross. And everybody can be wrong, but not everybody can be right. And so it's important that as we open God's word, we look at what Jesus said about who he is. And that's why during this year, when I've had the opportunity to preach the word, apart from the series on Jonah in the middle of the summer, we have looked at the I am statements of Jesus Christ. Who is he? Who did he say he is that we might follow him aright, that we might understand who our Lord and Savior is. I am the life, he said. I am the light of the world, he said. I am the door, he said. And I am the good shepherd. All of those are sermons that we walked through earlier in the year. If you want to go online, you can find them there. Today's declaration, I am the bread of life, is about the most vanilla statement you could imagine being made. Now, back in that era, you think bread and it's that flat bread and that's all there is. Today, you can go to the supermarket and bread is like chaos. What kind of bread are you talking about? Do you want gluten-free bread? Do you want fat-free bread? Do you want white bread? What, What brand of white bread do you like? Are you particular? Do you like wheat? Would you prefer rye? Do you want whole grain? Tortillas, pitas, lefas, lavash. Yeah. But 2,000 years ago, there was just bread. And so it was pretty simple. But in this very simple statement, we're going to see today that Jesus exposes four problems amongst his disciples. It's on the back of the bulletin there. We're going to see disciples who seek their fill. We see the problem of disciples who want just one more sign. The problem of disciples who can't accept who he says he is. We see disciples who won't accept what Jesus asks of them or asks them to believe. But it's amazing in this passage, we see that Jesus isn't looking for the largest number of followers that he can get. He is seeking To build a bride for himself. A bride that is holy and beautiful, dividing away the followers who wish to follow him only for his stuff, rather than for him in particular. My desire and my prayer today is for each of us that we would echo the words of Peter at the end of this passage. When he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But let's set the stage here. Uh, Jeremy read for us the feeding of the 5,000. And it wasn't like the people didn't know where the food came from. They were well aware that it came at the hand of Jesus Christ, so much so that in verse 14, they recognize that this may be the prophet that Moses spoke of. Indeed, this is the prophet who has come into the world in verse 14. And in verse 15, we see the omniscience of Jesus Christ, knowing that because of this, they want to elevate him to the level of being a king. Right in front of them, they had somebody who essentially was a celebrity. Somebody that they would elevate to rock star status. Jesus, at this point, could have whipped the crowd into a frenzy. He could have built an army, an earthly army, that would have overthrown the followers or overthrown Rome. But with apologies uh, to Christopher Nolan... He would have been the hero that they wanted, but he would not have been the savior that they needed. And so he withdrew from them. They wanted to raise him up and he pulled away, but they followed. So the first stumbling block we're going to look at here in the passage, starting in verse 25, is the stumbling block of disciples who seek their fill. They are looking for the wrong thing. Let's read 25 to 29 of John chapter six. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come from? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him. God, the father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they come back across the sea. They find him in Capernaum there and they were like, where'd you go? And Jesus, Jesus, knowing their hearts, you can imagine our Savior standing there with a broken heart going, I mean, you saw what I did and you just want more food. You, know, you, you want me to be a king. You, you want some earthly uh, make Israel great again thing happening here. You want me to keep providing you uh, great meals. He knew in his omniscience, the hearts of those who were following after him. And so he goes, set that aside. And he exhorts them to work for that, which will endure to eternal life. Think of the grace of God, that God doesn't just leave them in their goofy pursuit. He wants to bring them back to what is real he wants them to work for something that's not going to get scraped off on their coffin. You think of the sarcophagus in Egypt and the tombs and the pyramids and all of the, the wealth and treasures that are there that we're supposed to go into the afterlife with them. Yeah, no. No, it's all still there. And he says in verse 27 that the Son of Man is going to give you this food. I hope where you sit, you understand this is a metaphor. Jesus Christ is not going to give them food. The I am's, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ is not uh, like a lighthouse sitting at the end of the bay. It is a different thing. We have to think in terms of figures of speeches And metaphors and when jesus is speaking in a figure of speech what is meant to be symbolic and what is meant to be literal and that requires thought and discernment you go back to chapters to the samaritan woman and jesus said you know if i give you water it will be living water that will fill up and overflow and she's like oh I i want that water And he doesn't really explain what that is until chapter seven, where Luke, or excuse me, John makes plain that the living water of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. It is not literal water. The disciples come back and see him talking with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus said to them, you know, as they bring him food, because that's why they had gone into town, here, take and eat. And Jesus says, I have food that you don't know about they look at each other like the disciples usually do <laughs> go where did he get the food and he tells them plainly no, it's not food it is to do the will of my father jesus speaks in metaphors to go to a deeper truth than beyond the superficial so they're they're kind of scratching their head and going okay so what must we do to be doing the works of God? And you go, that's a good question. You know, kudos. That's a valid question. So what must we do? And here is the crux of the matter. This is what I spoke about at the start of our worship service. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. How important is belief? John chapter 1. John writes, the true light, starting in verse 9, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Even in there, you can hear the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus about being born again, speaking in a metaphor. It is the belief that is going to make one right with God, belief in him whom he has sent. But Jesus here is pointing out that, you know, essentially right now, the way you're coming to me, you don't want me. You want my stuff. And his stuff is good stuff. Heaven is good stuff. No sickness is good stuff. No more seizures is good stuff. No cancer is good stuff. Beauty and delight in the heavens. But do I follow Jesus because I want the stuff to make my family better so that my work hardships will vanish? Oh, to just know food and drink and pleasure to numb the pain of this life. Again, they're not bad things, but they are secondary things. They are peripheral things, and Jesus knew why they were following after him and saint he knows today why we follow after him do we follow after him for him or do we follow after him for his stuff the second big hang up came oddly as they now ask for signs they want they want just one more sign let's read Together, verses 30 through 40. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he You know, who are these people? These people just saw him feed a city about the size of Burke Burnett with five loaves and two fish. They knew he did that. They wanted to make him king. (laughs) They go, what sign do you do? What sign do we still seek from Christ? before we will believe. And I don't don't mean just believe in your head. I mean, believe to obedience. Do I really believe he is who he says he is? Is he really sovereign Lord? Will I follow after him in full-throated obedience? What sign do you need? The rich man who had died in Luke 16 asked that Lazarus go back to his family and warn them about the judgment to come. And Abraham fires back, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, it's kind of ironic, Abraham was long before Moses and the prophets, but Abraham knows full well of Moses and the prophets now. He fires back, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe a man rising from the dead. Luke sixteen twenty nine. Jesus has given them sign after sign. Even as he goes from this place, he's going to continue to do signs that prove he is the Messiah. The ultimate sign is his resurrection and coming back to life. What more do you need to know that Jesus is who he said he is? Well, they go back to bread. They're really, they're really hung up on bread. And so you go, you know, where's their heart? Well, There's that manna thing. Well, they had manna. We want something like that. God, what issue do we keep coming back to in our own life? What is my hang up that holds me back from full obedience to God. Well, yes, when Israel escaped Egypt by God's hand, God through Moses provided bread from heaven. But here Jesus says, the father now gives you true bread. Before he said the work of God, the food of God is that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now the true bread is, God is giving from heaven for the bread of God. Verse 33 is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He gives life to the world. And so they respond, well, this sounds great. Verse 34, give us this bread always. And they're thinking, well, this is a magical bread. That this is, this is the true bread. This is, oh, this is going to be even better than manna. And it's going to do something. It's going to give me a sparkly feeling. Or maybe it will heal all of my woes. Uh, give me greater strength. We want this. And Jesus confronts them that he is that bread. I am the bread of life. And we, we don't need bread today. But bread was subsistence for them. Bread was the essence of life. It was you ate bread to live. Without bread, you die. Bread you live. Without bread, you die. That is the metaphor. With Jesus Christ, you live. Without Jesus Christ, you die. He is that bread of life. And if he is that bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It is the belief. It is that we believe in him. Is he who he said he is? This is the will of the father. Verse 37. All that the father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Who comes to Christ? Who follows after Christ? The ones that the Father has given to him. It is a gift. It is the bride. Here I am giving you, groom, your bride. And the ones that the Father gives to the Son will come to him. And verse 40 the will of the Father, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I, Jesus says, I will raise Him up on the last day. Is that hard to understand? Is that, does that seem very plain and straightforward? You go, okay, here's a, here's a group who wants more food, here's a group that wants another sign and they still don't get it. Well, Now the Jews grumble in verses 41 to 46 about, well, he says he comes down from heaven. Is he is who he says he is? Picking up in 41. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God, he has seen the father. I mean, these are materialists. You know, He says he came down from heaven. We know this guy. We know his parents. His father's a carpenter. His mom's here among us. How can this guy have come from heaven? But this is the same thing that's battering saints today. You believe that? Really? It's like Satan. Did God really say? That's what the world is hammering against us today regarding what you are holding in your hand and in your lap. Did God really create the world in six days? Did God really create male and female? Did God really create Adam and Eve? Did God really destroy the world? The thousands and millions who were there? Did he really part the seas? Did he really bring down the walls of Jericho? These are just myths, aren't they? Did God really save Daniel from lions and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace? Was Christ really born of a virgin? We could go on and on. In a materialistic world, we are going to go, and we're not going to believe it. But these things are space, time, history. And the signs have been there for us to believe. But Jesus isn't going, oh, come on, guys. Oh, he's not wringing his hands. He is not sweating their unbelief. He expects it. He knows, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. He makes plain that the old Testament teaches that same point. This isn't something simply that Jeremy is preaching from Ephesians to make us feel uncomfortable and ruffle our feathers. This is the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody you can come to God. You're dead in your sins unless the Father draws him. By grace, he must change the heart and draw the man. None merit, deserve, or earn the call of God. And Jesus is laying this truth right before them. And then in verse 47, he reiterates the same thing he has already said to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Believe eternal life. Again, he reiterates that he is that bread. He highlights that the manna, manna was great. Manna preserved Israel, but you know what? They died. It was food. It was physical food. Jesus is saying this bread that comes from heaven, if you eat of it, you will have eternal life. Now, we're going to die. So we have to understand that Jesus Christ is not talking about something physical that he is going to give us that will sustain us physically into eternity. This is a metaphor. Yes, he will change our bodies. Yes, we will have a physical eternity. But death must come first or Christ must return first. Come to him and believe. To believe is to never hunger and to never thirst. Jesus notes that the bread that he is giving for the world is is his flesh. He's saying, excuse me, let me rephrase that. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's not giving his flesh for us to consume it. He's giving his flesh as a sacrifice, as a payment for sin so that you don't have to suffer the eternal consequence of your sin that I don't have to suffer The eternal consequence of my sin. The atoning sacrifice of Christ. So is he? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Is he really the only way by which man may see the Father? That's what he said. Do we know him? Will I come to him? Will I believe? Well, they're hung up on this bread thing. And now he's asking us to eat his flesh. Like, what? eat this bread and they they just they 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 lose it here in verse 52 the Jews then disputed among themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh jesus said to them truly truly i say to you unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you the fathers ate and died whoever feeds on this bread will live forever jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in capernaum and this is a discussion that almost borders on insanity and you can see even in jesus language he is not trying to placate them oh no you misunderstand what i'm saying he, like, drives the division wedge further into the conversation. He goes, all right, we're going we're to take this even further. We have to understand, for a Jew, back in that day, cannibalism was absolutely unthinkable. And if Jesus was the preeminent Jew, that had to be unthinkable to him. So this has to, in that point, be a metaphor but it is from this section here that and a misapplication of the last supper where the roman catholic church believes that the communion that we're going to enjoy today becomes the actual body and the actual blood of jesus christ because he says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you have no part of me But you go, okay, well, all right, well, I guess we'll just accept that, unless it's a metaphor. And to this point, we have seen that the crux for eternal life is belief in him. So as biblical Protestants today, we believe that this is a metaphor and not literal. And here are five reasons for why I would argue that this is metaphoric and not literal. First, as I pointed out all along, the entire conversation has been a metaphor. John is replete with metaphor stem to stern. All of second, all of John's gospel emphasizes that it is belief in Christ that leads to salvation. I've already read a number of verses on that. I mentioned before, cannibalism was absolutely repugnant to the Jewish mind. As you look in scripture, the only time you see cannibalism even referenced, it is a curse and terrible bad things are happening within Israel for there to be cannibalism taking place. Fourth, in communion, the metaphor continues. Do this in remembrance of me. As we're going to read in 2nd, or 1 Corinthians 11. In doing so, we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until he comes. Why do we proclaim the death? Because that had the atoning power to save us from our sin. The fifth reason is that nowhere else in scripture is this advocated that it, we feed on the flesh of Jesus Christ and that we drink his blood. And it's ironic to note that in all of the gospels, there's only one gospel that does not mention the last supper and it's John's gospel. If it was so important, this whole flesh and blood metaphor that we have actually have to eat the flesh and drink the blood, it would probably be in spades in John's gospel. But it is not there. And they grumbled. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, well, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus knew again, his omniscience comes out there in verse 61. He knew in himself that they were grumbling. And in his grace, he appeals to them one more time it's not the flesh. It's the spirit. My word is what brings life. But he knew that they did not believe. And I've, I've kind of avoided saying this point, but let me emphasis, emphasize it now. This is not Pharisees. These are not just random souls. How are they referred to here? They're referred to, they're referred to as his disciples. These were people who were following after him. These were people who were sitting and listening to him. They were among us, but they went out from us because they were not of us, is what John says. And so Saint, as Jesus Christ gives this word to his disciples, then he gives it to us now. His disciples walked away. This is a hard saying. So Jesus turns and behind him, there's 12 dudes who are just sitting there with their eyes wide, their mouths shut. And he turns to them in verse 67. Do you guys want to go away as well? And Peter. Peter. Peter who gets a rap, Peter who flees away, but Peter who saw very clearly, Lord, to whom, whom shall we go? Where else do we turn? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There is no other. Your words are eternal life. We have believed and we know who you are. So where does that leave us? You know, Jesus is preparing for himself a bride and a people. A people who desire him and not his deep pockets. A people who long for him and not his great food or his cool mansion. My woman is a great cook. She is a great cook. But if I married her simply because she was a great cook... I could have just hired a cook or bought a cookbook. But I married a woman to have a relationship with and fellowship with. Jesus Christ isn't looking for followers who just like his stuff. If he knows that's our heart, the marriage is never going to take place. But to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, if I love him I get all the rest thrown in to whom will we go? Which celebrity, which politician is going to give you what Christ will give you sex and drugs. Are they going to satisfy now food and folly? You'll need more. He has the words of eternal life and yes, they are hard and yes, they are surgically splitting, but they are true and they are our only hope. You cannot sort of follow Jesus or he will spit you out of his mouth. He will divide you away. John three thirty six says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So our choice with the bread of life is to grumble and go away or we can believe and be filled and he offers us no middle ground. So saint, come to him while there is yet time. Believe on him and feed upon the truth. Anchor your life in the life that was given for you. Feed upon his word and he will raise you up on the last day. Let's pray. God, I pray that these words Would be true in my own heart, in my own mind, and that they would be true of everyone here. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Father, as we move now, even into our time of communion, We pray that you would be honored in how we celebrate communion, that we would remember the extraordinary sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, God the Son, Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, have your good way in us, we beg in Jesus' name. Amen.